Welcome to the Baseline Community Church Podcast. Well, good morning. Yeah, I, w- I was thinking the very similar thing of what um, Ken just said. And for me, the image is, I don't know if any of you have ever done physical therapy, right? Have you ever? So I've had to do it a few times. I had to do it when I tore my Achilles tendon. I had to do it just because my knee is old and all that. And you never, at least for me, I never looked forward to going to physical therapy because I knew the person was going to hurt me, okay? Was gonna make me bend in a way or do something. But then afterwards, you feel a little bit better, but then the next time you go, you go, I don't wanna go again. This guy, I know this guy's gonna hurt me. And that's kinda how today's sermon is gonna be. So I hope you're already okay with that um, because we are, uh, I'm ringing a little bit, huh? Yeah, better? Okay, because I think when we talk about materialism and money, it is just such a part of, of our, it's ingrained into the fabric of our culture and ingrained into the fabric of us. And when we start looking at it and thinking about ways to kind of break that so it doesn't have the same hold on us, it could hurt a little bit. So I just want to recap a little bit from last week. And, and here's what we said last week. is I said there's three lies that Satan tells us. And those lies are this, that you will never have enough money, that your money is yours and you can do with it whatever you want and nobody else should know, and that you, you are what you own. And that our culture just continues to drive those lies into us. And it's all around us all the time. And that is what Satan tries. And again, his main idea is to do anything he can to keep us away from following Jesus more closely. And so if he can have money be something that is our idol, he'll do it. He'll whatever he can do to keep us from Jesus, he will do. And then I said there are three truths from from Jesus that are ones that we need to hold on to. I said your father in heaven will provide all you need. He will give you all you need. Everything you have is a gift from God. And you cannot serve both God and money. And that what we want to do and what I hope to do is, is help us to think through what are ways that I can listen more to what Jesus says about these, this subject and less than what the world tells me. And that is consistently going to be what we t- look at in all these areas that we're going to try and break the status quo. What does Jesus have to say about this? And how can I listen to him more closely and not listen to the world. And again, we are just bombarded daily by the lies of the world. And I believe that one of the things that can help us break this, this status quo or break this hold that materialism has on us is by practicing what are called some spiritual disciplines or some spiritual practices in our life. And, and again, they're not easy. And as I was thinking about it this week, we typically want things to change really quickly. Right? I want my life to be different really quickly. Even, I think, even the title of our sermon series of breaking the status quo, it kind of gives you this image that you can just take a sledgehammer to it and break it and it's done. But realistically, change takes time. It takes a long time to change, oftentimes. And I was reminded of a book that uh, Eugene Peterson wrote a long time ago that's called um, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And I think that's what God wants from us, is to have a long obedience in the same direction 
and as we continue to follow after what Jesus wants from us, wants us to do, that we then become more and more like Jesus. So one of the, one of the kind of anchor passages for this whole sermon series is Romans chapter 12, and the verse, verses 1 and 2. And, and you may know this scripture well. We studied Romans 12 for a sermon series once. So here's what Paul writes. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. These two verses are so full there's so, there's so much great truth in them, right? So, so Paul says, hey, therefore, and the therefore is all of the previous 11 chapters of this incredible theology about who God is and who we are in him. He says, because of all of that, now you are to offer your body as a living sacrifice. In essence, you are to die to your sinful nature and live for Christ, is what he says. And then he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And the, the, the wording there actually means stop conforming to the pattern because you already are doing that. You're already conforming to the pattern of the world, Paul says. He says it's time to stop doing that. Do not do that any longer, but be transformed. And this word is so rich. It's where we get the word um, metamorphosis. And the picture of what it means to be transformed is that what is happening on the inside of your life is actually then shown on the exterior. You see that? And that's why this takes time. That's why any type of change we want to see happen, that's why any breaking of a status quo is going to take time, because Jesus needs to do a good work on the inside of us first before there can be any external evidence of what he's doing. And that's what Paul says here. And we're transformed by the renewing of our mind that we would think differently. Such a beautiful, beautiful thing, way to think about how do I change? I allow Jesus to change me on the inside, and then my actions follow after that. So uh, just as there oftentimes are, are lots of... It, make any type of change in our life, kind of like what Ken said, there's pain involved. So here we go. You ready? Here's some pain, spiritual pain for us. And the first practice is this, the practice of fasting. Nobody likes to fast. Okay, let's just get it out there. No one really likes to fast. But fasting is a biblical truth. It's something that is in both in the Old Testament and New Testament. We see Daniel in the Old Testament fast. We see Jesus fast in, in the New Testament. So fasting is a, is a spiritual practice that is all throughout Scripture. And the purpose is to break a routine and to let go of an appetite in order to have a greater awareness of God in prayer. That I, that I stop doing something I typically do. Now, I know some people who have followed the example of Jesus and have actually fasted for 40 days. They drank liquids. 
but they didn't eat any food for 40 days. Others, and I would encourage you not to start there if you want to do this, don't start at 40 days, but practice take, uh, take 18 hours. So you, you eat dinner one day, and then the next day you skip breakfast and lunch. Or take 24 or 36 or something along those lines. Recently, I um, practiced in a week, Monday through Friday, I skipped lunch every day and took that hour to just pray. And that's what you do when you fast, is you're stopping from doing something that you typically do so you can focus more on your relationship with God. And you can listen to him. And it's really hard to do this because our body wants to be in charge. Our body wants to say, no, you can't do that. I'm so hungry. And it, you will feel hungry. But what we do with this is we are telling our body, no, you are not in charge of me. Okay, My spirit and my soul is what really matters here. And what happens is when you fast, it brings to the surface um, those cravings and attachments which are so often tied to the stuff we want in the world. At the beginning, it's, oh, I want food. I just want food. But then other stuff comes up, and we realize what else we are attached to, what else has a hold of us. When we break any type of a routine like this by fasting, Stuff comes up, and you're like, oh, wow, that is really who I am. You know, I really am. I'm, I'm so attached to watching TV at this certain time. I'm so attached to checking out uh, how the stock market is doing at this time. So all this stuff comes up, and we realize what is actually has a hold of us. One uh, commentator, one writer says this, fasting is an opportunity to lay down an appetite, an appetite for food or for media, for shopping. This act of self-denial may not seem huge. It's just a meal or a trip to the mall, but it brings us face to face with the hunger at the core of our being. Fasting exposes how we try to keep empty hunger at bay and gain a sense of well-being by devouring creature comforts through self-denial, we begin to recognize what controls us. Our small denials of self show just how little we actually have for the sacrifice or time for God. It shows us what's really in control of us. So I'd encourage us this week to think, through how can you skip one meal and spend that hour praying and listening to God? Could you skip a couple meals? And it doesn't have to be food, and some of us cannot fast from food just for health reasons. But what would it look like to fast from media or social media during this week? To get rid of Facebook or Instagram or whatever and not even look at any of that stuff. To not watch the news at night when you usually watch the news. To, not, to change your way of going through your week. When we... Um, fast and we can draw near to God, we can hear him say, I will provide all you need. I am here. Fasting helps break the chains which imprison us and our desire for more stuff. So, uh, so Nancy did something a couple years ago that I think is another way of fasting. It's, it's pretty wild. And, and let me just preface this, that Nancy uh, likes to shop. 
Nancy's, we are not extravagant. She's not at Nordstrom's or Tiffany's or any of those places. She likes to shop at Marshall's and those sort of places. But for a whole year, and, and she did this because she read about it and felt the Lord saying this, for a whole year she, never, she did not buy anything for herself. For a whole year. No clothing, no knickknacks for the house, nothing for herself. And she said it was remarkable doing that for a year. Because at the beginning, she would walk into Marshall's and think, oh, I'll just walk in and see what's in there. And then, but in, she's, she's walking through, she would hear the Lord say to her, there's nothing here for you. There's nothing here you need. And then she'd leave. And then over time, it was like, I don't even need to go to the store. Not even because I'm not buying anything. What would it look like to fast in that way? It reminds us that God brings everything we need to. And the natural result of this, I believe, for us could be and is contentment. Paul writes this in Philippians 4. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Let's just say that last verse is the most a misquoted verse of all time, maybe, of everything. Because it, you see where it is. It's right in the midst of talking about of contentment and, and, and having or not having. It's not having to do with like winning football games and, and all that stuff. But it is something we learn. I have learned the secret of being content in all situations, whether I have a lot or I don't have much. Here's what contentment means. It means to be happy with what you have and who you are and where you are. It's respecting the reality of the present. It is appreciating that you do have what you do have and where you are in life. Contentment does not mean the absence of desire. It means that you are satisfied with your present and you trust that the turns your life takes will be for the best. That we are content where we are. We can still look to the future and have desires but we're content with what we have in this point. And I believe fasting can help us get to contentment. One of the important spiritual disciplines. And then the second one that we'll look at today is this. It's the spiritual practice of stewardship. Stewardship. It's this truth that God owns everything. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It's at that second truth that I talked about, that everything is a gift from God. This goes for the stuff I have, the money I make, it has to do with my time and my relationships, that everything is a gift from God. It's not, I do not own it. I am stewarding it. I'm taking care of it for him. I have been tasked to use all that God has given me for the good of humanity and his glory. That that's what it means to be a steward. That I don't own it. It's not mine. It's God's. 
Last week, I, we looked at a quote from Dallas Willard, and I just want to throw it up there again so we could look at it. He says, we use money to exercise our dominion for good, right? That we've been given money, and it's to, that we can help good things happen. Hence, we begin by earning all the money we can and saving all the money we can. Then we freely use this money with properly disciplined spiritual life, and we control and invest this money for the good of humanity and for the glory of God. And finally, we joyfully give money away where and when we have the opportunity to do the most good. I just, I love this when it, as it thinks about what stewardship is. Yes, yes, God has given you, every one of you, everyone watching, everybody listening here, everybody, you all have gifts that God has given you, abilities and talents. And God says, use those to your best you can. Make as much money as you can. And again, I said this last week, and Dallas would agree, without sacrificing your family or your soul. But as much money as you make, great. Use it. But now you use it for the good of humanity and the glory of God. It's not so that I feel better about who I am. It's not that I can just lavish myself with everything I want. But what I have is for the glory of God and the good of others around me. And then finally, we joyfully give money away wherever we can do the most good. This is what it means to be a steward. And there's so much involved in this. Yes, it's, it's working hard and it's, having a budget, and it's saving well, and it's, it's giving, and it's investing right, and it's uh, communicating with your spouse or a good friend. It's paying off debt and staying out of debt. All of that is involved in what it means to be a good steward. But the hope is, at the end, that we are using our money in such a way that we're helping humanity and giving to those who are in need. So when we live this way, here's what it looks like. We're liberated from greed, self-centeredness, money and other things so that, from money and other things so that generous spirit of Jesus grows in me. We embrace generous hospitality towards those who are in need and we're stewarding the earth with all your resources and freedom, freedom from the toxic disease of affluenza, that desire that we just want more and more and more. So when we, when we practice stewardship, it ends up that we are then people that can live generously. You can give to others and do it joyfully. You know, I, I was thinking back to when have I given joyfully? And I mean, I can, every month we give to the church, every month we give to different ministries and we, I could do that with joy most of the time. But I remember one of the times for me, and, and you might think back to times in your life where, man, just giving was, that was so joyful to give. And the time that came to my mind was when I was in college and I was working in the summers. And I mean, I was making more money than I knew what to do with as this college kid at this point. I think I made like $400 a week, you know, and that was, back then was, wow, I am rich. And my young life leader at the time, I was talking to him, and he said he was having to get new tires for his car and all that, and all oh, it was about $300 and all that. And one of the greatest things was to get $300 cash, put it in an envelope, and put it in his mailbox. No, nothing saying it's from me or anything like that, but just doing that. And he figured it out that it was from me. 
But what great joy to just be able to give and not even worry about it. That's what it's supposed to look like. It's what it's supposed to look like. So the final thing I want us to talk about is this, is um, how do we overcome the dark lie of secrecy in our family, in our finances? The dark lie of secrecy in our finances. It's one of those things you don't talk about. You're supposed to kind of just keep it to yourself. And yet I think keeping to it to ourself, it, it becomes something that can own us. And we are embarrassed either because we've made bad financial decisions and maybe we're in debt and we're, we're not doing as well as we kind of portray to everybody else. Or the other side of it is maybe is we're doing much better than we, we're doing really well and maybe we aren't giving as much as we would. And so it's something that we keep secret. We don't want anybody else to know. In fact, one of the um, unfortunate things that happen in, in marriages, Christian marriage or whatever, is that husbands and wives don't talk about this. It's something either the wife does or the husband and nobody knows. I remember I had friends years ago who the husband paid all the bills. And the, both the wife and the husband were working and he's paying the bills and they're living a fairly normal life. And then one day the wife came home and there's a... Uh, envelope on or something on their front door saying that their door their house is going into foreclosure and so she's like brings it and shows it to her husband says what is what's going on he goes well yeah I haven't been able to pay the mortgage for the last six months but he never let her know and imagine him holding that in and the anxiety that that produces of not being able to let your spouse know here's where we are and here's what's going on so to break this cycle of secrecy, here's something I want to suggest. Here's a radical idea. Okay, I'll start with the radical idea. This is, I heard this from a pastor um, on a podcast recently. That he and his wife are a part of a group of other people their age, kind of the same place, and they talk about their finances together in this small group. And in fact, if they, they never spend more than $1,000 without getting the permission of this group. So if you wanted to buy a new car, you had to go to your small group and say, hey, we're going to spend $10,000 on a new car, or $20,000. You have to get permission kind of of this group to do that. Now, that's, that's kind of wild and radical, but I could see great freedom in having a group that does that with you. The, the second one and a smaller step is this. This may not feel like a smaller step. If you're married, pay your bills with your spouse. And if you're single, ask your roommate to help you or find a friend that you could get a, have a party every month where you pay your bills together. But to do something to where it breaks this secrecy. And so I um, last week talked about this book that Nancy has called Every Moment Holy. And it's liturgies or prayers for different things that happen in life. And one of them was a liturgy or a prayer for paying of the bills. And so I just want you to imagine this, if you're married, or if you have a roommate or have friends, you get together, 
you sit down with your checkbook, or if you do it all online, you've got your computer ready, or whatever it is, and you get there, and you pray this prayer, and I'm just going to read part of it because it's pretty long. What if you prayed this prayer before you paid your bills? Here it goes. Oh, God, who does provide all things necessary for our lives, be present with us now in the paying of these bills. For there is little in this life that will so starkly reveal our insecurities and our struggle to trust your tender care as will the state of our hearts when we consider the state of our finances. When we're anxious about money, we all are at times, oh Lord, we can so easily slip into the downward spiral of believing that simply having more of it would guarantee our security as if our security could ever rest anywhere outside of you, oh God. So guard our hearts against that lie. And then it goes on. There's three more paragraphs, and we won't read them, but it talks about, hey, if we've made mistakes in our finances, Lord, we help we confess that to you. Help us, Lord, to be joyful in our giving. Help all that. So here's the thing I've done. I spent $15 of the church's money to get copyright okay to print this prayer up for us. And there's copies over here on this table right up here and outside, okay? If you're watching online and would like one, email or text me and I'll send it to you. But can you imagine how it would change the way you look at money if you did this with your spouse? You sat down and you prayed a prayer like this. You don't have to pray this exact one, but prayed something like this. Where you realize, hey, Lord, we trust you for everything we have. We believe, Lord, that you've given us, and it's a gift. Help us to be good stewards of what you've given us. We confess we haven't always done this right, but, Lord, we want to. And then together, you pay your bills as a steward of all that God has given you. It could be life-changing. It could change the way you think about money. You could experience freedom instead of anxiety. You know, at the end of the um, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that um, everyone who hears his words and puts them into practice is like uh, a person who builds a house on rock. And when a storm comes and the wind blows and the rain falls, that, that house stands because it's built on the rock. But everyone who hears his words and doesn't do what he says is like someone who builds on sand. And when the winds come and the rains and the flood comes, the house is destroyed. What we're talking about these days, today, is taking the words of Jesus and putting them into action. Taking the words of Jesus and practicing them taking time to actually fast and say, God, show me where I'm attached way too much to stuff. Show me things that have a grip on me, Lord, that I just need to get rid of. We're saying, Lord, help me to be a good steward of all that you've given me. Help me to budget and to save and to pay off debt and do all that so that I can be a generous, joyful giver. And Lord, help me to break the bonds of secrecy in this area. And just lay it before you and others and say, Lord, I want to do this well. I don't want it to cause anxiety. I don't want it to cause struggles in my marriage. 
I want it to be before you. I want you to help me live this life to the greatest ways I can, that I might be a generous person who can help make a difference in this world. It's exciting. It's hard work. It'll be painful. But it's so worth it. It's so worth it. Because we will experience what it means to be a little bit more like Jesus. Let's pray together. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to um, experience peace and contentment and even joy in this area. That, Lord, you have given us so much. Help us to take good care of it. Help us to steward it well. And, Lord, I pray, I pray that you would help each of us to take a step to practice fasting and stewardship and breaking secrecy so that we might experience all you have for us in this life and in the life to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Baseline Community Church, please go to BaselineCC.com.